Oh, shit. What happened? Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. Uh, so how do you say your name? Is it Samari? Samari, yes. All right, Samari Walker. Um, athlete, you played at Kentucky. And yes, played at Kentucky and played at UConn. So I started off at UConn, played there for half a season, and then transferred to UK. And then what? why, why did you transfer? After much reflection uh, about like the last almost 10 years, I honestly was not ready, um, wasn't prepared to play on that type of stage, um, nor was I confident enough. I had the wrong mindset um, because I wasn't already as good as some of the players on my team, such as like Tiffany Hayes or Maya Moore, people like them, but they were already juniors and seniors. I was only a freshman. And um, Coach Oriyama obviously saw the potential that I had to be a great player, but I was so focused on being there now and not the process. So um, being able to, to truly reflect and be honest with myself, I can honestly say that's why. Um, and many people thought I wanted to be closer to home, um, that it was for playing time or, anything, or something like that. But I was getting more than enough playing time, especially as a freshman coming in. And when I initially transferred, I wanted to transfer out to um, USC in, in L.A. That was my first choice. Um, so ended up coming back to Kentucky. Um, and that was a decision based on relationships I'd already established. Um, and it, it honestly ended up being a great fit, though, and ended up embodying everything that I wanted in a school, which was basketball, school, um, academics, and then a social life. And I also did get to be close to the home. I have a brother who we have a 12, 13-year age gap. So that was um, it was difficult being away from him as well. So um, a lot of moving parts, but I would honestly say the main reason was just self-sabotage. I feel like I was good enough. Self-sabotage. That is so huge. Yeah. You, I, you know, we do get caught up in this idea that we have to do more. We have to be more. We have to. Mm -hmm. And really, because, you know, I, I've been listening to a lot of motivational videos and, mm -hmm. you know, they really make you feel like you're not enough. Exactly, you know, because man. they'll be like. Uh, I, there's a there's a there's a motivational video on YouTube and the um, the uh, cover for it was like, are you weak, lazy, depressed? And I was like, my God, like, come on. I was I was exactly. coming to you for help. <laughs> Not to feel worse. Right? <laughs> yeah. This how you coming at me already? Like. Why is weak and lazy associated with depressed? Like that's a that's a whole other that's those are three those are three weak has to do with your muscles, lazy has to do with whether you 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 having to do something and not deciding not to do it. Depressed is like a whole come other thing. I'm like, this is worse than rap music. What y'all doing? Exactly. <laughs> so that's that's really funny to me. I, I totally agree. And that's why, like, I've had to take so many social media breaks. And I've chosen to, like, not have a phone the past month because I've got, well, I was getting so consumed and trapped in that, like, instant gratification thing. And even with my own podcast, like, 
I started to slip a little bit because I was like, this isn't, this isn't taking off quick enough. I'm not doing this. I don't have a guest on here yet. It's only been like three months now. Um, but every time I get on social media, I see what other people are doing. So it's so easy to feel like you're not doing enough, or like you're weak and lazy. And then, you know what I'm saying? All those things, they can make you depressed if you allow it to. But I've had like, I've really, really like gained so much inner peace from being, um, like pretty disconnected these last few weeks. It's helped a lot. It's it's it feels so good, so much clarity. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons I go hiking. Is like I know yes. can't nobody reach me out there. And sometimes I'll be at yes. four thousand elevation, and my phone will still go off. I'm like, who? Who is reaching <laughs> me at four thousand? Exactly. Ain't no birds up here. Ain't no wildlife. Who is reaching? <laughs> Somebody I can't go far enough sometimes. <laughs> Man, exactly. I, I agree. And it really seems like that. It's like, it's either an email, it's an Instagram notification, it's Snapchat, it's a text message, it's a phone call. Like, we're always so connected. And I used to be afraid of not, like, seeing the latest The Shade Room post on Instagram or, like, like taking so long to text people back. Now I take three, four days to text people back or email them back because there aren't that many things that are that important where I need to instantly hit you back or something like that. And people do it to me all the time. So why can't I do it to other people? You right. know, and it's been it's been very freeing, like you said, so much clarity. Uh my girlfriend and I went hiking today. That's something that we just picked up. And it's a it's an awesome hobby because like you said, you're there's nobody up there but you. You got a few bugs, a few birds. That's it though. And it's also a workout at the same time, but you're not really feeling that workout. It's more so for me a mental workout and that peace that I get to see so much of God's creation at one time. And it's like, it's, it's been a hiking is something that I never thought I would do. Cause you don't see too many of us out here hiking, but it's like been something that has been totally amazing for me. Um, so Mari, I want to, let's, let's go back a little bit. Let's go back okay. a lot. of it. Let's go back to your childhood. Right. And let's go back. At all. <laughs> because <laughs> first of all, university of Kentucky when you played there, what years did you play there? At UK, I was there 2011 until 2014. And where were they ranked when you got there? Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> I think maybe top 20. Top 20, top right? Top 20. So, yes. and I bring that up to say it's an elite school, right? And the expectations at the University of Kentucky are extremely high because the men, I think, won uh, in you know, the past couple years. Uh, yeah. And the women, so men and women's basketball have always held an elite status. So when you yeah. say you felt pressure, uh, I want people to understand mm-hmm. that uh, it, they breathe basketball in Kentucky. Like they, they breathe right. football. <laughs> In Texas, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. And where you where were you born and raised? I was born in Danville, Illinois, and raised in Dayton, Ohio. Okay, so so Midwest and and you know basketball is a huge Midwest thing. And yes. so did your do your your parents did they push you into mm-hmm. basketball? Or was this something that? You know, you, you were just already out there dribbling till midnight and they yelling at you to come in. Uh, it was definitely a mixture of both. I saw my dad play a lot. 
Um, we lived in Chicago for a very brief period of time, so I would watch him play pickup at the parks out there. Um, and once we came here, he was still playing a lot. And I remember uh, my first time playing pickup, I was nine years old with the guys, and they didn't have enough players. So my, I had begged him for, like, years. And I think I was, like, four or five asking him, could I get out there with them? And he finally let me. And once he saw that um, I had, like, a real talent and knack for it, that's when it became, like, a job and a chore. So, like, basketball for me has been a job since I was 10, 11. Um, and I, I used to um, really for the past couple of years have had a hard time um, forgiving him and even other people for the pressure put on me um, and the direction that it, it pushed me in, which was like, like I said, it became a job and a chore very, very early. Um, and in high school is when I started to fall out of love with it. And some people could notice, my mom says she noticed. Um, and it got to a point where I was doing everything in survival mode where it was like, I know I, I have to do this or I should be doing this, so let me just get through it. And that was another part of the reason why I left UConn was because mentally I couldn't, um, I just couldn't sustain mentally for what I needed to do physically, how, how focused and, and, and in it I needed to be. Um, and that's a, that's a basketball school right there. Yeah, they have great academics at UConn, but in terms of basketball, like, like you said, that's a, that school specifically eats, breathes, sleeps basketball, and I just I couldn't do it. I'm not that type of person. At that point in time, I didn't even really want to play. Um, so when I had the time to once, so I don't know how many people really know this story, but I got left um, in Connecticut when they went on an away trip to North Carolina, and that gave me a lot of time to really think that I was it that I didn't want to play basketball anymore, or was it I just didn't want to play basketball at UConn, and. It really honestly, truly was. I did not want to play basketball, but I knew that's, that was how I was going to go to school for free. And I knew that I could still do it. I was going to make some money. I didn't have to get a job right away. So it was just survival mode all throughout college and the four years I played professionally. Mm, where'd you play professionally? I played overseas in Spain, Australia, Sweden, Lithuania, Finland, and Luxembourg. Wow, so you got, you got a chance to see some cool places. Yeah, man, places that I probably wouldn't even know existed if I didn't play basketball. And that's why I had to forgive because I like a lot of good came from it. Um, but yeah, I got to see some, man, Australia is probably my favorite. Um, and then Spain, then Sweden. And uh, just the, the, I would say the gift and the blessing of being able to meet so many people um has really really prepared me and helped me become more adaptable when forming relationships now in my life can can you speak more about that like how so like when you say more adaptable that is such a great word um mm -hmm. how has it helped you become more adaptable man when you live in a country and you don't speak their language and they don't speak your language you got to figure it out so i had to download google translate I was having to um, learn, when I first went to Spain, having to learn Spanish very, very quickly, or at least the basics, um, adapting to their way of life. So, like, in Spain, they're big on their siesta. So, like, there were a few times where I would forget, and I would go out in the middle of the day when everybody else is in their homes, you know, eating and sleeping, and everything would be, I mean, the city would be completely just quiet, a ghost town. Um, so getting used to those type of things. The food over there is so much healthier and cleaner. So getting used to like not eating cheeseburgers from McDonald's every day and stuff like that, like I would here, 
Um, and just, I would say just that, just the people are so different. Um, like in Sweden, for example, they're really big and even Spain really big on like spending time together and stuff. So we would go out to eat and still be at the dinner or whatever for even coffee. We would be there for hours. And I'm like, bro, like it's time to go. We had practice earlier. Like we had practice six or seven in the morning. Like, what are y'all doing? Um, or how they stay, they don't go out until 12 or one o'clock in the morning and come back. Like you leave at six or seven, go eat breakfast. Then you go back and go to sleep. So like stuff like that. And, um, like I said, just the, just having to, to learn how to build relationships with people that are so different from me. And then I come back here and it's the same way. Like I have learned to speak to people who are janitors or something like that. And people who are billionaires, I've been around literally everybody. So it's helped me become comfortable in my own skin as well as like just with who I am. Um, and seeing how, like I said, like there could be somebody who may, I have one of my best friends, she's an older lady, older black lady, and she works at the mall as a janitor. And that's one, like, I love her to death. And I saw how she gravitated to my personality. And then I see how people, you know, who are wealthy or people who are very successful, kids even, like, gravitate towards my personality. So it just helped me become a more, um, you could say, extrovert, for lack of better terms. Yeah, because, you know, I think that it's so powerful that you brought up the the fact that uh, that you become more of an extrovert, because I think that especially for introverts to be thrust mm-hmm. into the limelight as an athlete. A lot of people think that, cause I'm an introvert also. And a lot of people think mm-hmm. that uh, all athletes and all performers, because you're on stage, you're on this huge platform that you crave all of that. And really exactly. it's like, you love the game, you love the sport, mm-hmm. you love the process. And because you love it so much, all this extra came with it, the scholarship, the adoration, the newspaper, but you didn't, you really weren't thinking about that. You were just thinking about being the best you can be every day as an athlete. And, and then it it becomes like, where can you recharge? Where can you find quiet space? Because people know you, you're the big woman on campus, you know? Exactly. I got people hitting me up asking where the party is like, you know, always just, you know, just connected. So connected all the time. And then like with Twitter and Instagram and all that becoming popular when we were in college, that made it even harder because we literally couldn't go to a party or something without being filmed. And especially if we weren't, want, if we weren't supposed to be there, we didn't want to be on anybody's camera, but we still wanted to, you know, be able to live the so college smart. life a little bit. So yeah, exactly. So it, it was definitely tough. And like you said, like just being thrust in the limelight, like, you know, you, you, kind of know what it's like before you get there but you don't know anything until you actually experience it so like yeah i knew that people love you know uconn and uk players they want autographs and pictures but to be like at the mall or something or out to eat and people are interrupting our time for autographs and pictures as a 17 18 19 year old kid that's like it's tough because i literally can't go anywhere and just be me um and like at uconn for example we had to and i understand why um, but we always had to dress a certain way or look a certain way. We couldn't wear headphones on campus. We couldn't eat like while we were walking on campus. So stuff like that, like we we are basically, you know, army people. Like we're we're it's feel it felt like the military. And I didn't want that as a 17, 18 year old kid. So my decision to go to UConn was like purely basketball based, um, instead of like really taking in. But at the same time, I had nobody to talk to uh, I felt like I had nobody to talk to about that decision and no sort of counsel or anything like that so what do you expect 
a 16-year-old who gets offered a full ride to UConn, who's always wanted to go to UConn, what do you expect them to do um, without counsel? So that's something that I'm like really big on now and, and kind of wanting to do is, is talk to athletes about how to make the decision of what schools to go to and why, even what to major in, because I majored in fashion merchandising because I wanted to be, want to be still a fashion designer, but fashion merchandising and design are two completely different things. And that degree now is essentially useless. So just the education behind it as well is extremely important. What about, because you you mentioned that you felt like you didn't have anybody to talk to, no one to talk to, no one to go. What about your your family, your father? You know, he's a big basketball player. Surely he could empathize or your mom. What uh, did you not feel like you could talk to them? Um, yes. And I would say I did. But at the time, it was I thought I knew what I wanted. And I thought that I knew what everybody else wanted or that I should be doing what everybody else wanted. So coming from a small town like Dayton and I'm one of the biggest athletes coming out, it's like, you know, if I go to UConn, I'm going to be even bigger and even more special and all of that instead of thinking again of myself solely because those people aren't going to be at UConn with me. And then when I left UConn, I, all those people that were there disappeared. And, and to go even further, even after I left Kentucky, after I finished playing professionally. So um, I feel like also to, to really answer your question, you have to talk to people who have been through what you are are about to go through or are going through because to me it doesn't I might as well talk to my little brother then and ask him what what does he think I can do what should I do if I'm going to talk to somebody because I need to talk to somebody who did it already and um one woman who actually went to UConn and she went we went to the same high school and everything but she's a few years older than me and um she she told me that I wouldn't like it and not to go and um, I was like, no, like you went. So like, why can't I go? Like, I'll be okay. And she was like, I don't think that, you know, you're that type. She's like, you have the talent, obviously. You're that type of player, but not the type of person. It wasn't a not to me at all. She was being real. And she was right. Um, but again, you really can't tell a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid anything. So I wasn't hearing anything she was saying at all. And, and that's plus, another thing. the message that we always receive is that, um, we can become what uh, is expected of us. Like, you just got to pull yourself up. Like, you just got to toughen it up. And, and the truth is, like you said, it might not really be you, you know? Uh, it's like, it's one thing to say somebody's not mentally tough, but it's another thing to recognize that that person really doesn't value what you value or doesn't really want this thing that, you know, everybody else thinks that they want. Oh, it'd be great to be a movie star or a basketball star, but um, a lot of people just want to be a farmer or, you know, work at, as a cashier or just be a stay-at-home parent. Like, you know, the, the limelight is not for, and I don't care how much therapy you go to, if you're built a certain exactly. way, uh, you're, you're just, you're fighting an uphill battle. Yes, sir. I agree. I totally agree. And I've had people ask, like, you know, if I didn't want to do it, why did I do it or how did I do it? But like I said, when you're in survival mode and you're doing something because you have to do it, you know, you literally have to do it. What else are you going to do? So I at the time felt like I didn't have a choice but to play D1 college basketball because if I didn't feel that way, I just would have went D2 or D3. I still could have played, still would have went to school. Um, I would have been happy. Family would have been happy. Everybody would have been happy because I did what I was supposed to do. But 
Samari Walker, who I thought I was supposed to be, it was now I got to go to another big time D1 school. And um, in terms of like work ethic and stuff like that, nothing changed. Like it was just as hard, if not harder. But it was I it I was able to connect with different people a little better. I'll say that. Um, and it wasn't just basketball. So I always, when people ask, I always tell the story of like when my coaches at UConn would ask me what's wrong, it was always basketball based. They would take me on the court and try to fix the problem, um, would, you know, send me in their offices. But my coaches at UK, they would text me, they would call me, um, bring me in the offices. And also my head coach went as far as to set me up with counseling. Um, but it didn't really work at the time, but now I go and I'm a t- definitely an advocate for it. Why, why, why do you think, because I also went to therapy uh, in college uh, mm-hmm. few, because I have my master's in psychology. So uh, as an undergrad, I went and then in grad school, I had to go as part of the, the program. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, I was resistant in, in both situations. I think part of it was youth and, um being like in my perception of what therapy was like opening up crying like I was like I, I'm not I don't want to do this I don't have room for this like this is corny uh I would just like lay there and I, I was like a, I became a night I hated every moment of therapy yeah and now I see the value in it what did you have a similar experience or what what was it like for you for sure um I really fought him on it because I was like, I'm not crazy. Like, why do I need to go to counseling? Like, that's where people with actual mental health issues go. But at the time, I didn't know I had actual mental health issues. And like you said, just being a youth, also being a person of color, it's not talked about in our community. Um, I have, I still have a hard time getting through to some people in my family about therapy. Um, and also, I didn't know at the time I needed somebody who the person sitting across from me could relate to me and my experiences. So it wouldn't do me any good talking to a white woman about something that happened to me, um, like racial profiling, for example, because how can she, you know, I don't even know, counsel me through that. Um, whereas the, the therapist I have now, she's is like my auntie, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome, a great relationship. Um, and I feel like this time when I went, it was, truly a blessing. Um, but it was more so like I absolutely needed it. Um, and it was just like, I don't know where else to go, what else to do. So let me try therapy. Um, and it, it worked <laughs> And I, and I, I really, I moved from Chicago back to Ohio. I was going to therapy in Chicago and I really, one of the main reasons I want to move back to Chicago is just for my therapist. Um, that's how amazing it was. So I think it, it takes a lot of, uh humility a lot of humbling yourself and understanding that you don't need to go to therapy just because something's wrong you can go to just help you be able to focus better to think through things better to become more organized anything work on relationships um just to get better not to fix something so to speak so what were some of the things that uh you learned or picked up uh with your chicago therapist uh Oof, a lot. <laughs> I would say just, first of all, confidence, um, because she couldn't understand how I had all these great ideas, but I wasn't confident in any of them or why I wasn't doing anything. Um, I think I would say the before that, the biggest thing was me waiting for somebody to tell me what to do. 
So I was so used to being coached um, and being told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, why to do it, that the last four years, five years of my life since I've been out of school, I've literally been waiting for somebody to tell me what to do next. But there is nobody anymore to tell me what to do next. So um, holding myself more accountable, um, realizing that I'm the one in charge of my own life, and also um, relationships, like healing in in that aspect, um, healing from my past, letting go of the past, um, and understanding that, like, there is life after basketball. So I was so stuck on basketball and, okay, well, I played, you know, at this level, so now I have to coach at this level, or I have to coach, period. I don't have to do, you know, I don't know if I can cuss on your podcast, so I'll spell it, S-H-I-T. You know, I do whatever I want to do. Um, so just, like, I would say just, uh, man, accountability, um, and that's very, very broad, but accountability for sure. How You know, I, I take a lot of yoga. And they always talk about letting go. And I'm like, but Mm -hmm. y'all ain't talking about how to let go. Because I asked, I would love to let go of, but it's just just clinging to me. Like those little uh, puffer fish on sharks or whatever. How how are you learning? How are you learning to let go? Tell me, please help me. Um, man, it's a process and meditation and solitude has been the biggest for me. Um, and really understanding what matters and what doesn't. So does it matter that, uh, for example, I tried out for the USA team a few times and, and for a while I was very, very hurt and upset about it. 20, 10 years later, does it matter that I didn't make the team? No. Does it matter that I got into an argument with my parents when I was 16? No, it doesn't. Does it still hurt me? Yes, but I need to heal from it and move on from it or else I'm going to always have some sort of distorted relationship with them or with other people. Um, so relationships in college, when I when I was um, unfaithful or, or my significant other was unfaithful, does it matter now? No, it doesn't. But how do you heal and recover from it? So just I think being forward thinking about it, um, first of all, taking accountability for it and being forward thinking. So is this holding me back? If so, why? If not, great. Um, but if something's holding you back, just just dealing with it, I think is the biggest thing is just dealing with it, facing it head on. Um, and forgiveness, 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 forgiveness of myself and forgiveness of others. Um yeah, I can go on and on and on and on, on about that, Leo. So you, you might have to get, go to the next question. We can stay on this all day. <laughs> Yo, is it, a, a friend of mine, uh, and, and I didn't ask for this, so clearly uh, she was picking up on something. But she sent me a podcast about self-compassion. And wow. I'm like, trying to tell me something? Uh, and But it's true. It's like we, we have so much compassion for other people and we're so easy. Uh, it's so easy for us to forgive others or to uh, diminish the the pain or hurt that uh, uh, someone else caused. That, um, but we don't have the same for ourselves. We, you know, we beat ourselves up and, and criticize and things like that. And um, and so you're right when you talk about forgiving yourself for what you've done, whether it's for eating a whole box of Oreos or for staying up late or missing a workout or, you know, whatever it is, 
practicing forgiving yourself so that you can start right now. Start over right now, this Thank moment, you. right? You don't stay there too long. I just had a guy on, um, Anthony uh, Delgado. He was on a recent podcast, and he has a five-by-five five rule for letting go. And basically, he says, if what has happened is not going to matter five years from now, I'm only going to think about it for five minutes. And I was like, man, that's really powerful. And that goes back to what you were saying of what matters. Does this really matter? Mm-hmm. Right? In the big, exactly. in the big, and when we think about the big picture, the grand scheme of things, how, how much does this exactly. matter? Mm-hmm. And what? I think it's also huge to realize, I'm sorry, I, I think it's also huge to realize, like, people, people aren't paying, like, nearly as much attention to you as we think they are. And, like, like you said, like, if you miss a workout or something, like, nobody knows that you missed it. So, like, it's okay. Because a lot of what we do is based off of what other people are going to think about us or, or what they already do think about us. A lot of things are fear-based. So if you, my, my, my other biggest thing was to stop operating out of fear, to just do things and to see what happens, um, to fail a few times. And I have failed so much. I've moved back home and like, who cares? Like, it just does not matter. Um, and just getting to the point where the only opinion that matters or the, the opinion that comes first, um, is mine. And that, that's it. Because again, nobody is living my life except for me. Nobody's going to go nearly as hard for me except for me. So it, it just, most things just do not matter. So what is the program that you have now? Cause you, you, you know, I, I talk about turning your pain into a purpose or turning your pain into profit or turning your, your you know, pain into passion. Oh, you can pick any of those P's and, 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 and you're working on all three. What is it that you're doing now for the athletes? Because as the stats say that over 50% of athletes are struggling with depression and anxiety and some type of mental health issues. So how are you giving back, Samari Walker? Uh, First of all, sharing my story. I think it's important to be open, to be vulnerable, uh, to be very transparent. And if they don't see me struggling and actually going through it, then how are they going to be able to be so open and vulnerable as well? So my dad, I remember not too long ago, told me that, like, uh, Jesus doesn't use perfect people. He uses people that we can relate to. He uses broken people, abused people, hurt people, people like, you know, huge sinners um, as examples. Because if I were to never go through this, how can I sit up here and talk to somebody else about mental health? So just being extremely vulnerable. And then also I have a podcast called Speak Your Truth. And I invite um, other current and former athletes on the show. I had a mental skills coach on there, a couple other people. And we just sit and talk. We talk about our stories, what we went through, how that's impacted us, the things like, you know, having to be at workouts at four or five in the morning until seven or eight. You got to shoot to class. You got to go to study hall. Don't have time to eat, um, stuff like that. So our families, a lot of people uh, that I've talked to, some of them have been, um, you know, sexually abused. I've had one, my former teammate I had on the show, um, she had cancer of uh, the uterus. She had to get her uterus taken out. So now she can't have children. So different things like that. Um, that people don't know that that we go through because you just see the athlete as an athlete, but we're humans. So my 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 quote or my mantra is to rehumanize the athlete. 
um, because it, that's all we, we're just robots to people, um, walking, breathing robots. And it's not fair. It's not right. Um, and I can remember like going through a lot of different things in college that people would know nothing about if I never had the courage to eventually speak up about it. Um, so it's, it's, it's a journey. It's a tough road to, to, I should say it's been a tough road to get to the point where I feel comfortable sharing my story, but I know that there's so much, you said over 50% of, of my people, my, 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 you know, fellow athletes are going through the same thing that I did. So I'm sure there are a lot of kids in college or even high school who want to say something but don't know how or, or they don't feel like anybody's listening. Um, but there's always going to be somebody. And if you're just brave enough to tell your story, you're going to impact so many other people and you don't even realize it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's powerful that you say that because I think we think we always have to have the answers and the solutions. And really, it's like just letting people know that they are not alone in the struggle that there are others who can relate to them, who share a similar story, who have a similar background, who, you know, uh, introverted, uh, you know, father was driving them since they was a kid, and, you know, those types of things, small town, and, um, and you're just trying to navigate in this loud, busy, um, <laughs> social media-driven world where you know you, you can't have any time to yourself and you you feel dehumanized you feel exactly. like an object you're 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 you know there's so much talk is about the objectification of women which definitely exists but then yeah. take it to another level you're an athlete and a woman mm -hmm. so it's, it's you're exactly. doubling down and how tall are you samari i'm six feet tall Oh man! So you six feet tall, black, yes. a woman, and a yes. you know it, it's like, and all you yes. you and can't hide nowhere, <laughs> nowhere. And also, like I, I always tell people, too, being gay is also tough because I have at the time was dealing with women, um, was still also still deal with men, and I don't understand because we go get our hair cut, we can get our hair cut together, go shopping together, go look at women <laughs> together. So that's always. I love, I love men. I love y'all, but not like that. So that was also another thing was like having to go through stuff like that as a young person, a very young person. And it's like, it's, or even being, uh, sometimes ashamed of it or being ashamed or being ashamed about being black. So dealing with all these different things and feeling like I don't have anybody I can speak to about it. Um, especially in college, because I had a type and my type was mixed women, and they could not relate to the struggles I was going through. Um, so, so, you know, different stuff like that, you know. Um, and, and we don't really take time to think about those things at all. So, it's like I said, it's been a, it's been a, a struggle of a journey, but a very powerful one because I have really just come into who I am. So, all of these different experiences I went through has made me who I am today. And I wouldn't – people ask me all the time, do I regret leaving UConn? And I don't, I never have, um, because yes, I would probably be a lot more well off financially. I'd probably still be playing in the pros maybe, but I would have never, it would have taken me longer to become this Samari Walker. And I'm just glad that at 26 that I've realized and overcome so, 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 so much. What are you telling athletes, like what practical things are you telling athletes to do? You know, you you're going up there, you're telling your story, 
And, and, but then people, you know, the students are, I'm sure looking at you like, but what do I do? Like, I can relate. Thank you. For, I don't feel alone. So what, what are you saying? Listen, I wish I had did this or you, you should do this or, you know, what are you saying to them? I would say the first thing is like, we want everybody else to view us as more than athletes, but we have to do it for ourselves first. So making sure, one, that you know that you're more than just an athlete, you're more than just a student athlete. Um, I encourage young kids to find other interests. So whether it be, you know, something creative, um, if it's, if, you know, you think you want to be a police officer down the line, whatever it is, like study that um, and, and immerse yourself in it. And I talked to a group of young women over the summer. Uh, they were between the ages of like seven and 13 or 14. It was a basketball camp a very big basketball camp. And um, I was asking some of them, like, why are, do you think we are afraid to, to share our dreams with people? And majority of them said, because they're embarrassed to share their dreams. People might laugh at them and stuff like that. And that's that. what I tell people is that's one of, one of my biggest regrets is not following my dreams initially because of what other people said or thought about me. Um, so just having, having an identity outside of your sport, outside of school, um, and make sure that identity aligns with who you are and what you want, not your outside influences or your environment. You know, that. so when I look back at some of the guys who I, I uh, viewed as being um, just um, level-headed, you know, there, there's those people who are on a team where you're like, they're just always the same. Um, yes. I, I was always very excitable. I was, I, you know, like, oh, you know, like I, I was always had, a, I was... <laughs> Anxious, I don't know. So I had these manic episodes, depressive. I, I was, I was oscillating uh, between back and forth, and um, and it's true. When I when I look back at the people who were very level headed, they also clearly had interests outside of football, and whether it was a business, whether it was family, whether it was relationships, they seemed to be tethered to something else. Uh, a bigger purpose, a higher calling, whatever it is, but still functioning uh, and and very focused on football and, and still, uh, um, uh, you know, achieving great um, uh, success in football, but also, no, not, not so in love with it that they're blinded, uh, that they're disillusioned by it and, and think that it's the end all be all. They, they were definitely set up for something else. So, yeah, you're so right about that, of like finding your identity. And I think that's tough for a lot of people because they've been in such a cocoon most of their life. Mm -hmm. And now they have this all this quote unquote freedom. And I say quote unquote because mm -hmm. you talk about you have to dress a certain way, eat a certain way, no headphones. You have all these rules that other people mm -hmm. are have no idea that you have to stick. You have to be exactly. in bed. Have, the, the study group that you have to attend and all those uh, different things. So yeah. when I, when I played, exactly. we couldn't have facial hair my first year and what? we, we hated it. We, we could, we could have facial hair during the week, but on game day, we had to be clean shaven and all the black players hated it because we had <laughs> razor bumps and mm -hmm. our our southern white old coach Shadell, we all hate him. All the black players hated him, and oh. did not care. 
you know, we lobbied, yeah. petitioned, we everything. And we were like, yeah. I can't, I can't clean shave this. My my neck is gonna, especially because you know, you shave and then you put on the gents, the the dross, and then that, that gets sweaty and then the dirt, it is just and so I had to use a uh, magic shave, which was this disgusting, mm-hmm. it was like nair, but for your face. And it smelled so bad. The first iteration of it smelled so bad. And the 2000, uh, wait, the, the 1999 version of Magic Shave was so bad, I had to wait until midnight or 1 a.m. in the morning to shave my face in the dorm when everybody was asleep. Because if I did it during the day, the whole, everybody in the dorm would smell it. And then I would hear everybody complaining and crying about the smell that's coming bathroom. That is absolutely <laughs> horrendous. And, uh, but it was my only, it was the only way I could shave without, and then you had to hope that when it dried up and you peeled it off, that it got all the hairs. Cause you, you only do one application. If it didn't get all the hairs and you just had a patch sitting on your face. <laughs> you just, you just out there with a patch. It was just horrible. It was, it was a horrible experience. So, you know, so yeah, so you're right. It's like there are all these other battles that <laughs> that we exactly. have, you know, wars that we've been waged against that um, people don't see, don't know, don't understand. Exactly. Do you think that with the uh, therapy that you've on, undergone and, and your perspective now that you would have been able to stay in basketball and 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 i'm asking you because of this is it so much that you didn't want to play basketball anymore versus you 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 had other you had other things you wanted to express on top of basketball but you just didn't and so then it made you hate basketball does that make sense Yes, I would. I would definitely say it was a mix of it, um, because like I said, it, the fun got sucked out of it very early. Um, I can remember being in like seventh, eighth grade, and there was like the uh, day and daily news blogs. People were already like talking bad mouthing me already. This is pre Instagram, pre pre Twitter, all of that. So it's like as a you know, I was 11, 12 or thirteen, eleven, twelve or thirteen. Having to, you know, I shouldn't have been reading it. I remember my parents told me not to, but when they would go to sleep, I would get on the computer and get on there real quick and just, you know, look at these things that people are saying about a child playing a sport. And uh, like it just, I can, and I remember my dad telling me after he found out I was reading them, and it was like, don't, people can say what they want to say about you, but you don't have to believe it. But sadly, I started to believe it, and that's where the self sabotage came in. So I think it was a mixture of just like, a ton, being from a small town, having a spotlight on me, nothing else goes on here. So they had nothing else to talk about, really, except except for sports and other stuff like that. So um, it was really my junior year in high school. I was ranked uh, number one nationally, and I literally had came out of nowhere. Nobody, I had. like I was good enough to go to their school that's really all that mattered so I held on so tight to that ranking that I and I also the the mistake 
with that withholding on to it as well was that I felt like I no longer had to work hard. I felt like I had arrived. So that's why I said like it took me, um, you know, some time to reflect and realize that. So that's why I no longer blame anybody else. I hold myself accountable because I I had a decision. I had a choice. I could have I did what I did or I could have been more sensible about it um, and realized like I need to work harder because of this. Um, but again, I think having a support system that that extends outside of your family is so important because how many of us listen to our parents? So my parents were telling me all the right stuff, but I didn't want to hear it. Or I didn't want to listen to them because I like, you guys are my parents, like, and I'm a teenager. Stop talking to me, you know? Um, but if I really feel like if I had a support system, some sort of support system outside of that, um, a lot of things would have went differently. And I, I do totally think that if I had therapy, the right therapy and counseling in, in high school, I think I needed it in high school. If in college, I don't, th- I think it would have been a little too late for that situation. Um, but definitely if I had received it in high school or maybe very early in college, it, my story would have turned out a lot differently for sure. You mentioned self-sabotage twice. Can you, for the, mm-hmm. the listeners out there, des- describe like what that is, you know, and, in, in, you know, and even in therapy terms and then what that looked like for you and then how you mm-hmm. overcome that. For sure. Um, self-sabotage for me, is just tearing, you're simply tearing yourself down, talking yourself out of things, um, doubting yourself, um, and like I said, acting out of fear. So for me, it was a lot of telling myself that I wasn't good enough, that I'm not good, um, that certain people were better than me. Um, if my teammates would say that I was really good, instead of just saying thank you, I would say no, like no, I'm not, I'm not that good, or you guys are better than me, blah, 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 which was not true at all. So just verbalizing <laughs> those things, your mind, you know, your your mind doesn't, really know what's true or not so the more I kept saying that the more I started to actually believe that and it clearly was not true um once I got to UConn just saying I I shouldn't be here um I'm not good enough like I don't know why he wants me here all of these different things um and in my journey entrepreneurship the same thing um I also have a clothing line but I I self-sabotage with that in the sense that I felt like it wasn't moving quick enough, so it was it automatically was not good enough, and then that was turned into attacking my own self. Um, so just a lot of like downward spiraling and being completely irrational. Um, and to come out of it, I think just taking time to reflect on what you have done right, on the things that you have done well, on the things that you have accomplished, um, and just seeing how you've progressed over time. So. Uh, looking back, I know I'm not in the same place mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically that I was a year ago. A year ago, I weighed um, almost 50 to 60 pounds more than what I do today. So taking time to like acknowledge that um, really helps boost my confidence or, or acknowledging the fact that I, that I broke, let's say, a generational curse for mental health. And I decided to go to therapy to fix the problem um, instead of, of, of using other methods. So um uh, really just self-love, self-compassion, like you mentioned, um, and telling yourself it's okay, that forgiveness of self. And also, like, I tell myself almost every day, like, I'm proud of myself. I'm doing great. And even though sometimes I don't really believe it or sometimes I'm just saying it to, to get me out of that funk and at that moment I might not really be grabbing onto it, eventually doing, you know, this entrepreneur stuff. Um, I do like have the history of basketball. So 
just just reflecting on those things and having confidence in them. You said how many pounds in one year? Nearly fifty. How did so you? I went, um, but we about to write a book right now. Fifty <laughs> pounds in one year. We about to write a yes. national bestseller. How did you? Ah, let's. So first of all, um, I have to acknowledge my significant other. Um, her really taking the time to love me where I was uh, helped a lot. And her, instead of telling me that I was big or this didn't fit or this, this and this, she made me, uh, she helped me make better choices and better decisions. Um, we were also, we were living together as roommates initially, but started dating. And um, there was a time where I got fired from the job we were both working and the job didn't pay that much. Uh, you know, between the two of us, there was a time where she was just bringing in the income and I had to start walking dogs. And in Chicago, it's like, at the time, it was like 21 below zero, and I'm out there, you know, all bundled up walking dogs. So uh, sometimes I would walk like 10 dogs in a day. So I'm walking like miles on miles on miles in heavy clothing. So I'm still sweating in this cold weather. I've got on these heavy boots. So that walking helped a lot. Um, and like I said, we were also struggling financially. So there were times where we could only eat one meal a day, and that one meal was very small. Um, and so <laughs> my stomach got a lot smaller and now I just don't eat as much. That's so funny. That's <laughs> no, nobody is going to want to hear that story. Sorry. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> they're like, I'm not walking no dogs in, in minus 24 degree. Um, it's true. But, you know, the power of your story. The power of your story is that uh, your lifestyle um, is a part of that. You know, when we talk about how important your lifestyle is, if you have a desk job all day and then you sit, you have to commute for an hour there and an hour back and then you come home. Like it's, it's hard to, to, to work those pounds off if your lifestyle doesn't. Um, and then sometimes like. It go, and then two, you could be making too much money. You have too much access to yeah. too much food. And uh, that's mm -hmm. the case for me. You know, I, I used to have a nice little <laughs> a girlish figure. Uh, and then I started oh. making some money. Oh, yeah. I always You could always tell when I got a little extra money and stuff. It always got a, a little extra pounds, too. Um, yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> more money, more weight. <laughs> for real more problems more weight man i yeah. just read where uh what's his name kevin o'leary from shark tank yeah he spends like a thousand dollars a day on food and but he said a lot of it is because like he does business meetings during his breakfast lunch and dinner sometimes but i'm like bro like a thousand y'all got to be eating the dopest meals ever like the freshest food the freshest vegetables everything like but yeah i mean and also that I wanted to say that, that all of that ended up turning into a healthy lifestyle because us not being able to eat certain things, like we would have to eat like really healthy or either really bad. And like by the time we ate so much processed food, we were like, nah, like we got to start spending just a little bit extra on the healthy stuff. Um, and also like with the walking dogs, uh, my girlfriend, she would come with me sometimes. So that turned into us just taking walks for no reason, just to go walking. And now we go hiking, we go to the gym, we go play basketball sometimes. 
Um, so just, I would encourage people to just, just move, just get up. It doesn't matter what you do. You don't always have to go to the weight room or, or buy a gym membership. Just go outside and walk or stand up. If you want to watch TV or be on your phone, you can stand up and walk or run in place. Just do something. Um, and a, a lot of people complain about that, but the gym, I mean, outside is a gym to me. I can do a whole workout outside. So right. there's really no excuse, no complaint. It's, it's literally all mental. Um, and for me personally, I had to remember that I, at one time, even though I'm not anymore, at one time I was a D1 athlete. So if I had that mentality at one point, that means it's still in me somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. So pushing myself, especially now, a little harder in my workouts. Um, but it was really hard at first because I don't get paid to work out anymore. So it's like, well, what the hell am I doing this for? As, you know, so but now it's for health reasons and just making sure that when, you know, we decide to have kids, I can run around with them and stuff. But and, and just making it fun, not doing the same thing every day. So like I said, some days we go hiking, some days we, you know, two or three days out of the week, we go to the weight room and then we'll go to the park and just play basketball. So it doesn't have to be the same every single day. Like it make it fun so that it's not redundant or, or a task or a chore. You know, that's when I, people who are in really great shape, that is the, the thing that they're very good at. They're very good at mixing it up and doing different things versus the same thing over and over again. I, I, I'm, I'm one. I can't do the same thing over and over again. Um, I, I go in the gym and then I go, what does my body want to do today? You know, uh, sometimes it wants to really get after it. Sometimes we're just doing band work. Uh, shout out to uh, Tom Brady. Um and then sometimes you're just going to lay on a foam roller for an hour, you know, because I, I need some, I need to decompress. <laughs> I stay on the foam roller for days, man. Yes. That is my best friend. <laughs> the foam yes. roller right up there. I'm like, listen, yeah, the foam roller is, is every, I, I have, what, I have three foam rollers. I have one in my car, one at home. And then one just floating somewhere. So it's, it's out there somewhere. But, uh, j- you know, oh just, man, the foam roller is everything. Everything. Yo, anybody listening yeah, right now, upset? If, if your girl ain't giving you none or your, your husband, <laughs> just foam roll, yo. I'm telling you. Foam roll, man. It'll take care of all of that. <laughs> For real. It gives, it gives me the same effect as, like, drinking or something like getting drunk or high like i feel yeah. so good after i phone bro like I'm and it's like sense of peace like my mind everything is just perfect after i finish foam rolling like life nothing can piss me off <laughs> until probably about a minute later maybe 10 minutes but <laughs> them, them first 10 minutes you cannot piss me off man <laughs> um so mark walker is there anything that um we you know, one last thing I do want to bring up is, and and uh, because we talk about how crazy the schedule is for athletes, um, yes. from early morning practices and workouts, then you go to class, and then you have to go see maybe the, the personal, uh, uh, the physical, uh, the athletic trainer after uh, mm-hmm. or before before the before the workout, and then go work out, and then go see him again after the workout, then go to study group. And, you know, and then and then go home and study. Um, Exactly. Sleep is so undervalued. Uh, Yeah. uh, College. It feels like everybody is just up late. So you think you should be up late. Like you said, (laughs) you don't want to miss out. But you don't realize how much that can 
trigger depressive episodes or even manic episodes mm -hmm. or uh, you know, at some point you're going to crash. You, you can't keep that up. Uh, what's many? Can you talk about any of that? Does any of that resonate with you in terms of how s the lack of sleep or the, the sporadic um, sleep patterns that we have have as athletes? For sure, um, I can remember like often having to stay up until. Uh, 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning and having to get back up at 4 or 5 to go work out and then I'm up until that time again and it does become very, I can, like, it does become very depressing and I can remember waking up sometimes, like, crying, like, damn, I gotta get up again, like, it's time to get up already and I gotta do this all over again and as a, as a young person, you think, oh, I'm young, I need this much sleep and I can do this, I can do this, no, like, take your tail to sleep if you don't have any reason to be up because Instagram, uh, Snapchat, Twitter, all that is still going to be there. Whatever else we have now, I don't know all this other social media they got, but whatever it is, it, and your friends, your significant other, they are all going to be there prayerfully the next morning. So just go to sleep because you have a job to do um, and that you committed to. And that's something that I think we struggle with as young people um, is just feeling like we're so invincible and that we can do everything, that we can stretch ourselves so far. But when you are getting up to, to perform a uh, uh, hour, I don't care if it's 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, at any level, D1, D3, NAIA, JUCO, like, you have to be there all in mentally. And if you don't sleep, you're, you're going to be there physically, hopefully, you know, for sure. But mentally, you're, it's going to be a drag. And it's, it's, it's going to take away from everything. Um, and even physically, like, it diminishes your body and stuff. So it's it's a, when you can get it i know it's hard but when you can get it even take naps like i used to nap throughout the day like if i had 30 minutes if i had an hour and a half i was napping every single second of that that time frame because you don't get a chance to just stop and breathe but i think almost as important as that is to to stop and breathe to meditate to just think to reflect um because you're going 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 and you don't have time to really think about anything else um, and I, I have a bad habit of that now is feeling like I always have to be busy from the time I wake up until the time I go to sleep, like a really horrible habit of that still, but it's not true. Like I, I don't have to be busy constantly. Um, it just whenever you can find a break, take it. Um, if you, and I would really also encourage, um, athletes to, if they need like a mental, don't abuse it, but if you need a mental day to ask for it, to be honest and ask for it, because you, you, it's impossible to show up every day uh, and, and be perfect, and you damn near have to as an athlete, especially at the D1 level, especially at the levels that I was playing at, you couldn't have a bad day. So I would really encourage um, athletes to do that and for coaches to be open to that because it's it's very necessary, um, especially, I would say, even more nowadays because of everything that we have um, and being so connected. You need those times to disconnect and to just breathe. Especially in basketball, because, uh, you know, um, it can go year round, right? You, you go yeah. season to the, yeah. there, there is no off season anymore. If you don't want it to be, you know, mm -mm. No. and no, so it's all. like we were get a chance to recharge and, and, and recoup. For sure. Like we were in summer school. You had a choice to come in, uh, I think it was either May or June, but you definitely had to be there. Excuse me, I think you had to be there June, July, but you could come for the first session, like that was at the end of May or something like that. Something like that. 
And um, so, like you said, there you sometimes there is an off season. You start uh, preseason in August. Your season goes from October until March or April, depending on where you are. I never ended any earlier than March, so I was going from August preseason. Excuse me, we'll just start with summer from May until March, and then you get maybe maybe a week off, two weeks, whenever the final four is over with, and then you go right back, right back. And then you get you have maybe two weeks to come back home over the summer, and you come right back, and you don't get to go home after that. So um, it's it's tough. And even like games, for example, traveling, we would fly. Now we had it very, 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 very good because we had charter flights, but we would have to fly to a place, stay there overnight, and then come back that same night, and then get up. It didn't matter what time we got back; we could get back at eight o'clock, you know, that same night. Or get back at seven in the morning. If you had an eight a.m. class, you better be at class at eight o'clock in the morning. Right. So it was that was really as well. It's just like you you can't you can't even miss class like normal kids. They don't feel like coming to class. They don't come to class. We didn't have that option because somebody was coming to check. So um, I really believe like mental days, uh, even even for non-athletic students, like having a mental day is so important. Um, you know, and I. I'm not going to tell anybody not to go to class or, or practice or anything like that. But if you are really feeling like you just cannot that day, then don't. Because, again, it's not going to make or break anything. Just take your, your, self, your self time. Uh, self-care is so important. I used, to, I used to lay down in my classes. At the, I used to sit in the back on those days. You know, I would drag myself to class and I would lay. I had a hoodie on. And I'd be sprawled out in the back of so you can't do that with all the classes, but in those in right. your freshman year when you in a class with like 300, 400 other people, oh man, yep. you got sprawl effect. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Damn. I used to be knocked out in a class of ten people. I did not care. I did not care. <laughs> I still to this day don't know how I passed accounting my senior year. That year we had practice from like I think it was six in the morning until about seven thirty, seven forty-five, and then my class was at eight o'clock. So I was going straight from this early morning practice to class. Worst class to have at eight o'clock in the morning because I didn't understand it for nothing, and I was asleep. Every class I went to that semester at eight o'clock in the morning, I was asleep. Do not know how I passed that class. Just thankful that I did, <laughs> but like it's hard, man, and, and I really feel like. I just don't understand how we're expected to be such workhorses. Um, but our coaches can take vacations. They they get paid so much. Um, you know, they get bonuses when we win, and, and I might get an extra sweatsuit or a, another pair of shoes. Like, that doesn't do anything for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to look fly in this Nike stuff, but, man, like, I'm tired, bro. Like, take me on. Send us on vacation or something. Or give us some extra money so that we can do stuff like that. Or even go like get massages and manis and petties. Like we we can we could barely afford to do those types of things. So um, I hope that that soon there will be you know big changes like that made. Um, but it's it's a work in progress, um, and it's it's they're trying to do so many different things to stop athletes or or even like for example they're changing rules for rich like for agents who want to be like Rich Paul. Like they're trying to you know hold us back. Um, or, or not give us certain things that we really deserve. I don't understand why athletes, especially at these big schools for football and basketball, like how they can't generate, well, why they feel like they can't pay the athletes at the school. Um, and I really feel like just like, for example, at Alabama, 
the football team alone can pay football plus every other sport at that school. Um, so I just don't think it's right that the coaches are making millions and millions and millions of dollars. My coach at UK was not making nearly as much money as he was by the when we got there as he was when we graduated. And again, where am I right now and where is he? So it's I just really don't think it's fair. Um, yes, I, I credit him as a coach. He's an awesome coach. But it's up to the players to go perform and do that. Like you, you're not out there with us. So why is it fair that you get paid millions and millions of dollars and you get to go on vacations, you get bonuses when we win, but I don't get a bonus. Like, I'm the one that just did this. All you did was tell me what to do. I have to go perform. So I just don't, I don't think it's right at all. Um, I've even went as far to compare it to modern-day slavery in a sense. Um, and being Black, it's hard to say that because I know what it's like and has been like for my people. But at the same time, being an athlete, I know what it's like. Um, and I can't, I can't be myself. Um, I can't speak on things when I want to. I can't say what I want to. I can't always dress or be who I want to be or how I want to be. Um, so it's it's just, it's not, I don't think it's fair at all, at all. Yeah, it's, it, it is. And I, and I definitely think one day that's going to change where uh, uh, they will start paying athletes. Or, you know, I, I'm like, I don't, you don't have to pay me. But don't stop me from making my own money. That's the issue exactly. I have. It's like, exactly. like, I'm not looking for a handout. I'm not looking for reparations. But don't exactly. block me if it's not interfering with, you know, uh, the big picture of us winning a championship and, uh, exactly. and everything else. Don't stop me from my little side hustle. That ain't got nothing to do with what we doing right here. So, and I don't think it's big of a deal either. When, for most, uh, for example, like Zion Williamson and all of them, like we know that they're going to leave after a year. So why not just pay them and just start paying them anyway? They're going to. We know they're going to the league. You're you're about to pay them so much money, millions of dollars. They're they're coming from where they don't. Some of them don't have anything. They get to college and you get a little bit. Get your Pell Grant, your stipends, whatever. So now you're giving these bo- these boys millions of dollars. Right. So I don't understand why not just start paying them, and then that way too you can teach start teaching us how to manage that money because so many of us go broke instantly because we don't know what to do with all that money. Like I was making a tad bit of money playing overseas and didn't even know how to manage it because I hadn't been taught how to, not from my family, not from my school, nothing. So when I got it, it was like shit. I'm about to spend. Like I got clothes to buy, I got trips to go on. Um, and that's the same thing with these young kids is they're buying all these cars and houses, buying their family and their friends stuff. And they, they we're, we spend the money before we really even get it or see it. So I feel like even if it's a small amount of money at first, if you start off paying the kids now that well, college athletes, men and women, you are really setting them up for success in my from my perspective. Um, because again, I graduated, I didn't know how to do taxes. I didn't know how to apply for a job. I didn't know how to manage my money, none of that, and how to invest, nothing. But you expect me or these guys, uh, in the NFL and NBA to, or MLB to manage millions of dollars. How does that make sense? So, uh, it's just, it's a, it's a, like I said, a very broad and, and a lot of moving, a broad topic and a lot of moving parts. But I really feel like there's no reason at this point why athletes of all sports shouldn't somehow be getting paid. Absolutely. Samari Walker, is there anything? Um, oh, last question. What Are you reading anything right now? I am reading um, Getting to the Yes, which is a book about how to negotiate. Um, I am reading Mercy 
by Pope, uh, whoever our Pope is right now, Francis. <laughs> um, and what is my other book? Oh, Above the Line by Urban Meyer. I'm, uh, I read those about 10 to 15 minutes each every day. Why those books? Uh, getting to yes, because I feel like uh, very soon, I, I, I'm hoping very soon I'm going to be negotiating deals and stuff for the different um, businesses and stuff that I want to do. Um, for Above the Line, it's a great book. Um, if you want to, first of all, learn how to live, a, I would say, a, a higher quality of life. Um, and that's what above the line means if you do things that are going to help you, that benefit you, that benefit other people around you. And um, below the line is like things that are hurting you, self-sabotage, um, living in fear, uh, you know, alcohol, drugs, things like that. So it's just, it's a book that is really, he doesn't even know what Urban Meyer is holding me accountable in my everyday life. Um, so it's been very beneficial. It also talks a lot about team building, a lot about leadership. And that's really, really huge to me at a time right now where I'm trying to build a team of people um, to help me out. And then also with leadership, like I'm also, I'm, I'm always trying to learn about how to be a better leader. Um, and the book Mercy, uh, I'm a very, very spiritual person. And it's, it's, it's really taking a lot off of me to, uh, know that no matter what I do, that God is going to forgive me. I don't have to, to try to be perfect, that I'm a natural born sinner. He knows that. So, you know, that doesn't mean go out here and do whatever I want to do and be crazy. But that if I do F up, that I can come back home, so to speak. So um, books that are all that are good for my soul and also good for my intellect um, and, and very good for me to to express, learn different things and, and express those things outwardly. Samari so Walker, I'm so grateful that you took this time to uh, share your story with us. Um, I know so many people out there are going to find value in this. Because uh, even if you're not an athlete, a lot of people are in environments that um, aren't the best for them, they, they, where they really can't thrive. And uh, they're just there because somebody else said they should be or they're trying to live up to somebody else's expectations. Um, or they can thrive and they just uh, haven't found the the way to have the, the conversation with the people, you know. Um, and so it, what, what, which, which either it is, we can all relate to your story, Samari. Uh, and, and to those of you who are listening out there, um, you know, whether it's from self-sabotage, you don't have to be an athlete to recognize that we, we all have gone through that. Uh, and, and needing sleep and wanting to connect with people and uh, um, and wanted to find your tribe, you know, and losing some weight, you know what I'm saying? Like, man, these cookies just ain't gonna walk off themselves. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start dog walking. You need to exercise, man. And, and yeah, yeah, I didn't realize how much I like dogs. So it, it was it was nice. I met a lot of different people doing that too. So it's not it's it. It, it was very humbling to go from being D1 basketball player, pro basketball player, down picking up dog crap. So, yeah. But it was a great experience, and it taught me a lot, and I got paid to work out, like I said. So definitely not complaining. It helped me lose weight, so not complaining at all. And I got to see a lot of Chicago, too. Chicago's a dope city, so it was, it was a dope experience overall. It is. That's, that's my hometown right there. Uh, last nice. thing, I always feel like uh, there's someone listening who – 
may be on a cusp of uh, completing suicide. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to that person, Samari? I love you, um, and I understand you. I know exactly what you're going through. I have been there, and if you choose, it can get better. Um, it will get better. There are other alternatives, um, and you just once you get to that point, you have to make a decision. Is it going to be you, or is it going to be that voice in your head that is telling you that that's what you should do? Um, and, and just take. I would honestly encourage everyone to just take a, take another second before you do it. Um, seriously, because I've been to the point where I've had what I needed right in my hand to do it, and I, I had to to think like, is this what I should be doing? Um, and we all have a purpose. Um, we all, if you are spiritual, you know, God has a plan for everybody. Um, and just, just wait, because <laughs> it gets better, man. It gets better. Seriously. Thank you so much, Samari Walker. Where can they find you? Where can they find you and, and what your, uh, what your, the work that you're doing with the athletes, how do they reach out? Leo, they can find me on uh, LinkedIn. My name Samari Walker, S-A-M-A-R-I-E. Um, my Instagram is also at Samari Walker. And my podcast page is uh, speak, your, speak Your Truth underscore podcast. Um, and am I anywhere else? I think that's it. All right. And then my uh, podcast is available on uh, Apple. It's available on uh, Google Play, Stitcher, Anchor, uh, Spotify, and a few more radio public places like that. Um, we are, I'm going to put a link to all of that and to the books that you mentioned, uh, Getting to Yes, Mercy by Pope Francis, and uh, Above the Line by Urban Meyer. We'll link to that in the show notes. Um, and another book, I don't know if you've read Never Split the Difference. No, but I will. Check that out. Never Split the Difference by uh, Chris Voss. It will be, you'll read it, it'll be a bit antithetical to what you're reading and getting to yes. But uh, okay. everybody that I've given this book to has thanked me exponentially. Nice. Um, so, and I've read Getting to Yes, but this book is uh, okay. next level Jedi mind trick stuff. Um, Nice. Thank you, Samari Walker. We will talk to you soon, and I look forward to seeing uh, your podcast grow and you grow and your fat. What's the name of your? You have a clothing line, also, right? Yes, sir. It's called Creative Kings. Creative Kings. Look at that. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you, listeners, for listening in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help for you calling the one eight hundred number for you calling the Trevor Project, for you talking, texting, emailing someone, Skyping, talk to a stranger, buy a bullhorn, yell at somebody, honk your horn a little longer than you should, hug somebody a little longer than you should, go for a swim, make a sandwich, do something. <laughs> Just keep moving, stay with us, because we will talk to you again soon. Adios.